Welcome back into Local News Live. Clay Osterley here. Hope your uh, Tuesday is uh, doing well for you so far today. Want to head out to uh, Studio B where we have uh, Ryan Piers who is standing by with uh, Jonathan Soppy from KHNL as well. Uh, Ryan, we're getting into our favorite uh, segment that we do all week, which is Unraveling Your Traveling. And uh, one of our favorite people, of course, Jonathan from KHNL. Clay, thanks a lot. Very pleased to be joined by Jonathan Sapi. He is where Local News Live's viewers go for their traveling advice. And Jonathan, we appreciate you joining us today uh, for the segment. Oh, yeah. Aloha, Ryan. Aloha to you. Good Tuesday morning. Uh, what is it, 8.30 your time? It is 8.36 and 30 seconds to be exact right now. <laughs> and it's looking really pretty outside. Wow. You can check it out. Remember the last time I showed you this live picture? Yeah, you can see one of our cargo ships moving out right now through the harbor right there through downtown Honolulu. Honolulu right now as we speak. The reef runway there in the far distance to the right. Yeah, we're going to be talking about all things travel and a lot of airline news to get to. That is a beautiful shot, something I would never complain about if I lived there. Now, it does seem like we have the numbers when it comes to complaints on flights from uh, different passengers. That was a big story during the pandemic. Uh, people flying on planes, they weren't happy about a lot. Uh, what do the new numbers say, Jonathan? Yeah, this is really adding to those airline woes. Let's run through these this new report, these new numbers we got. These are for complaints up in june way up in june according to the department of transportation data just came out yesterday air travelers filed get this six thousand complaints in just that one month that's a 35 percent increase from the month before so and it seems the thousands of canceled flights you were just talking about are to blame for a lot of this anger and complaining. Weather was also a major factor for disrupting travel plans, but airline staff shortages like we've been talking about and ground stops and all sorts of other staffing issues, really pilot shortages really added to some of the problems and cancellations as well. We've been running you through that all summer. Last week, the Department of Transportation Secretary he sent a letter to the airlines calling the summer's disruptions unacceptable. And it seems like a lot of travelers agree. Again, 6,000 complaints filed in June with the Department of Transportation. That's up 35% from the month before. Yeah, we just, there's a little delay in getting those numbers. That's why we're getting the June numbers now. But yeah, we've been talking about all those issues travelers have been facing all summer long here on Unraveling Your Traveling. Again, as those new month's numbers come in, I expect August will look a little bit better. Like I said before, it's a slow process to get that, especially with those staffing issues, especially with the pilot shortages. It's a slow stair-step process to get back on track to a pre-pandemic world. Also, I should note, we are expecting, speaking of the Department of Transportation, a brand new website. We've talked about this as well to be launched early in September. It's going to lay out all the refund rules for the different airlines in one place. So it's not going to be as confusing as it's been for decades now. When you need to cancel your flight or your flight gets canceled, you're going to be able to at least the DOT is promising, you'll be able to go to one spot and mm. see exactly what you're owed. That's good news. Jonathan, 
it seems like there's a survey that's come out about traveling to Hawaii. And if and if you want to make a trip there and, and visit Jonathan, the Hawaii News Now team, or whatever your, your travel plans include, it's something you should keep in mind. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, this is a really big push by our tourism industry and from our residents. Um, I'll say a Hawaiian word, malama, and that means to take care of. And that's really this whole trend of, of malama tourism effort that the tourism authority here in the state is putting together and really pushing out there through a number of PR routes as well. Uh, they have a number of ads going up and a number of programs. We'll talk about that in just a second. But first, I wanted to play out this story, our Annalisa Burgos filed just the other day. A new survey by the Hawaii Department of Business, Economic Development and Tourism is offering insight into how residents view visitors and what tourism officials need to do to build awareness. With reports of visitors' bad behavior, many Hawaii residents want to know what the state is doing to promote responsible tourism. King Kamehameha III's um, summer palace house up in Pali, and that was because people were just coming in and overrunning the place and graffiti, and so we helped preserve that place and make it so that people can come and kind of respect it. The recent resident sentiment survey found that most respondents believe tourism brings more benefits than problems, but are unaware of the Hawaii Tourism Authority's efforts to manage tourism. When we think about the numbers of visitors, we often talk about the big number, but really as important are the numbers of visitors at a specific place at a specific time. So things like reservation systems, things like charging those uh, access fees to visitors while preserving free access for Kama'aina, help to manage those numbers. And bring in money to cover the costs of maintaining popular destinations. A majority of those surveyed want to charge visitors fees to enter state parks and trails and teach them to be respectful guests. How can visitors leave a place better than it was when they arrived? So that means education about protecting and preserving our natural and cultural resources. Certainly that means ensuring that as much as possible people shop local. Most residents also want to eliminate illegal vacation rentals. Yeah, we can't even buy our, our house. It's like, it's hard. I, I think they got to kind of look at it and, and see because, man, they just drive the prices up for everybody else that live here, yeah? It's just like we kind of got to group up with our families to kind of survive. I mean, I think they should look into kind of regulating something, yeah? I mean, yeah, try at least make it help you help, help the local people, yeah? So, people, everybody wants to move to the mainland because it's cheaper. Help local people, and that's what the survey aims to do. HTA says it's working to further improve resident sentiment, build awareness, and increase quality of life benefits from tourism. And I think this is just an important message anytime you're going to a new community or a new destination. And I want to thank Annalisa for that report. But it is a good message. Malama, take care of where you're visiting. Show respect. Be respectful for the culture and the natural environment. I thought this was sort of a PR hype thing. But really, I actually Googled around and looked at what our Hawaii Tourism Authority was offering in regards to this new effort to more responsible tourism. And it's cool. You can go to our website 
website or Tourism Authority's website and find all these volunteer programs you can actually sign up for on your vacation. And it's really educational. Some of them are about preserving natural environments. Other are historical things. Uh, and you learn a lot and you give back. And I love, love that idea. And what a great affordable thing you can do on your vacation too because it's really you'll spend a whole day doing these volunteer efforts and not go spending a lot of money at one of those gimmicky places or one of those tourism hotspots that are really just going to suck your wallet dry you can go and give back save a little money at the same time spending a day of your vacation doing that and just showing respect for the culture and the environment Another thing that really cool happened here on the island of Maui uh, just last month or over the summer, they actually put in a new ban in place on disposable boogie boards. And that might sound silly, right? But it's those kind of efforts that I think are really going to make a difference in the future, especially when we're talking about our climate and our environment. Those disposable boogie boards, think of them, they're nine bucks. You can buy them at the local convenience store along any of the tourism strips. Think of how many people buy those a day and they just get tossed in the trash or get broken up in the ocean because they're so cheaply made out of styrofoam and stuff. So putting even our local governments doing things like that, putting a ban on something like disposable boogie boards, encouraging people to maybe start a re reusing program or encouraging hotels to offer things like that instead of people going out and buying something disposable like that and then just tossing it in the waste can when they're ready to check out. So a good discussion there and something I hope is encouraged more and more of. Yeah, very encouraging stuff there, Jonathan. Uh, want to move on to another topic. How is the hotel industry doing right now in the U.S.? Yeah, well, not so bad, really, considering where we were at the last couple years. So U.S. hotels set another monthly record for average daily rates. This is for July. We just got these numbers in from the hospitality research firm STR. It's sort of a further sign of the rapid recovery in the global hotel industry, as well as that inflation is pushing up those prices. So the company's figures show that the average daily rate, so that's the number on average people are paying daily for their rates, reached $159.08 since in July, which was up 17.5% higher than July of 2019. Of course, a pre-pandemic world in 2019. So that's showing you almost 20% increase since then. Yeah, it's also up 2.6% from the month on to month average. So that would be for June up 2.6% uh, when the average rate was only $155.04. Yeah, but hotel occupancy in the U.S. has still been hindered a little bit by the slow return of one aspect of tourism, midweek business travel demands. And think about that. That's really interesting. And think of how much traveling business people did before the pandemic and before remote working life. A lot of quick trips to different destinations with companies all over this country. That's not happening as much, but there's a slow return in that, that aspect of the industry of hotels. So we'll have to keep watching that. Overall, occupancy levels in July did um, also do some interesting things uh, for other countries as well. We should talk about Europe, where they're actually outpacing us here in the U.S., especially in London. Yeah, the U.K. average rates reached record levels this summer, which is really interesting. And corporate bookings also extremely high, surpassing pre-COVID levels there in the UK. So 
it's a comeback, that's for sure, to say the least. And it's an expensive comeback for us. And it, like I said, the factors at play there are the rapid recovery and inflation. Jonathan, we're hearing stories about what are being called in-flight or in-flight pilot flights. Bit of a tongue twister. Oh, yes. what is yes, happening yes. here? How's this happening? Well, this is really a story that's trending here and across the country. I've seen it in so many places and it's got people talking. So this was an Air France issue. They suspended two pilots after, yeah, what was called an in-flight flight. You're right. A little tricky to say. Uh, while they were at the controls, the airline, this is really interesting. So the airline only acknowledged this issue after the incident was reported in a Swiss newspaper. So we got CNN Scott McLean with more on this story. This actually happened back in June. This was a flight from Geneva, Switzerland to Paris, France, a little over an hour flight time. And there was some kind of a disagreement in the cockpit, which flared up into a physical altercation. We don't know what kind of physical altercation, but in a writ written statement, the airline described it in a much more benign way, saying that the pilots exchanged inappropriate gestures, though they have also confirmed that the pilots were not giving each other the finger. This was something that turned physical. Now, the airline, Air France, says that the flight continued on normally, that the issue was resolved. It's not clear when or how Air France actually found out about what had happened, but it has gone ahead and suspended the two pilots while it looks into it. This is not the only safety mishap for Air France in the news lately. Last week, the French Air Safety Investigative Agency called BEA released a report on an incident that happened back in December 2020 on a flight from the Republic of Congo to Paris, France. In that case, a few, there was a fuel leak and safety procedure dictated that the pilot should have shut down the engine with the leak, but that didn't happen. And according to the report, that created a fire hazard. Now, this was not an isolated case. The report detailed other incidents where pilots haven't followed the proper safety procedures. And taken together, it suggested there is a certain culture among some Air France crews which encourages a propensity to underestimate the extent to which strict compliance with procedures contributes to safety. Now, the report also tries to put things into context, and that is that Air France literally flies thousands of routes every day. And so the number of flights, the number of crews being investigated in the grand scheme of things is very small. Scott McLean, CNN, London. What was the gesture? I want to know what was happening. What were they up to? Naughty pilots, huh? Maybe just debating on who gets to be the main pilot, who gets the second pilot. Maybe about who gets that first-class meal and who doesn't. I'm not sure. Yeah, but I can't even imagine. Yeah, you can't be acting like no. that when you have hundreds of people's lives at hand. That is not cool. And I'm sure we will get updates on that, too. Yeah. No, interesting story. Jonathan, before we let you go, one more topic I want to talk about. Uh, apparently, there's a new... DeLorean, the Back to the Future car, they're, they're bringing it back. They're giving it, maybe ironically, a futuristic touch. What do we got going on here with the DeLorean? I was so excited about this, like literally all year long. We'll talk about some road travel, you're right. Uh, and they've been giving us teasers, the new DeLorean company, several months in advance showing us little clips of the car. I'll show you the classic car. We're all familiar with okay. this, right? The yeah. classic one. This is the 1980s version featured in Back to the Future movies. Everyone knows this car. Yeah, so those gullwing doors, 
that's about the only similarity the new version has, and it sort of stops there. So here's the new one. Yeah, the car is curvier and than the wedge-like version that I just showed you. And then under the hood, it's reported to be an EV, an electric car, perhaps powered by 1.21 gigawatts. Oh, I see what you did there. That was my best Back to the Future (laughs) reference there. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, But the company really has revealed very little about the mechanical aspects of the car, saying the power and battery details are still under wraps. Also, they're saying very little about the price other than it's undetermined, but many are reporting that it's targeting... Get this, $125,000. Wow. Great, Scott, my friend. No, 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 not cool. (laughs) I can't afford that. So it's the Alpha 5. It's planned as a limited edition. They're only going to make 9,531 of these, just one more than the last DeLorean that was made back in the 80s. So, yeah, a lot of people talking about this. Production is expected, I'm hearing, for 20. 24. So, like I said, I was super pumped about that. Also that they're releasing their uh, PR images or their marketing images in this red color, which I think is a total sin. DeLorean should only be made in stainless mm. steel. Everyone knows that. Yeah. Uh, so, like, to like the classic, right? And I love the 80s-ness of, this, of the classic car, and I think the 80s are back. And, like, I, we're still seeing a lot of curviness like they did in this car, but it's been around for a while. So I think those sharp edges actually have potential to make a comeback with cars and car design rather than what we've been seeing for a decade plus now, this more curvier design. The back end looks a little similar to the old one and those taillights and the colors on maybe, but I didn't, don't think they needed to transform it all the way. The interior is cool with the classic matte gray stainless steel color and the red design, red and black. But it's missing a lot for me. It's not hitting the mark. And it's so expensive. I don't know. I'm bummed. I was really hoping for that. I'm surprised there's not more being made. What would you say? Just a little bit over uh, about 1,200 going to be in production? Uh Five, no, uh, five, uh, 9,531. 9,000, 9,000. Still, so I under mean, 10,000. Under 10,000, yeah. they are pricey, very pricey. So yeah, we'll see cool. if they, they potentially sell out of those. But uh, I feel like they're going to have enough demand. A car, car that sharp with that much cultural impact, I feel like more than 10,000 people will fork over the cash, cash to buy that. But I guess we'll wait and see. Yeah, well, also, just to talk a little bit more about the design. Uh, so the designers of this new company, of course, the original company went bankrupt. There's all sorts of Netflix and another documentary on one of the other streaming services about John DeLorean and how the company all just sort of collapsed after its great hype with the movies and everyone wanting this car. Um, but so the new companies and its designers, so they're sort of... Pre- they say they pretended like the car never stopped being production was their concept. They actually made different evolution models, pretending that the car kept being released. Three different versions of that. Uh, so, like, they acted like there was a, uh, you know, just like the next version of the car since that 80s version. And then the fourth version, they came up with this. So that's how they sort of came up with it. They sort of imagined that the car was still produced for all these years, nearly 40 years, and this is what we would end up with in 2022 or 2024 when it goes into production. Jonathan, do you think we have uh, 
I got a question for you, being a, a Back to the Future fan. Do you think we have time travelers living among us right now? Oh my God, whoa. Intense question, and I <laughs> feel like I might be one. Oh, you might be one. Oh, okay. I'm stuck in this room a lot, so I, my mind goes, yeah. <laughs> I love those theories, though, those people who are always looking for, like, the cell phones yeah. and, like, old pictures and, like, people holding things that never existed in those photos. I love that conspiracy theory. I'll go down that wormhole with you some other time. Sure, sure. But, uh... I honestly am not a believer in that. Which is interesting about time travel, though, in relation to Back to the Future. You know how Back to the Future 2 was set in the future? Yeah. Well, guess what? That was 2015. It, we've already passed that. Mm -hmm. And they almost got... It took place in 2015. So, yeah. They almost got the, the Cubs part right. Yeah. I'm a big Cubs fan. What was it? They they predicted the Cubs win the World that Series so in 2015? Right? Yeah, so close. Yep, one year off. I, yes, clubs. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff there. The curse prevailed. Sorry. Yeah. Jonathan Sapi, Hawaii News Now. Great stuff, unraveling your traveling. We always appreciate your contribution. Excited to talk again soon. Yeah, see you soon, man. Have a good one. Thanks, Jonathan. Good stuff.